Hello, I'm Robert Royal. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Catholic Thing, which is a daily column series online. Uh, you can subscribe for free to The Catholic Thing by going to www.thecatholicthing.org, uh, entering your email, and it will come into your uh, email inbox every single morning, 365 days a year. These are the Catholic Thing podcasts, and we try to uh, maintain our charism of brevity in these podcasts, but I'd like to bring um, some of our writers and some of our friends to you in a slightly different format with these podcasts. And today we're um, quite happy to have with us one of our regular contributors to the Catholic Thing, one of our re regular columnists, David Bonagura, who's also a uh, assistant professor of theology at the St. Uh, Joseph Seminary in Long Island. So David, good to have you with us. Um, Thanks for having me. We're we're in Lent. This is actually the first Friday, full the, the first full week Friday in Lent. And instead of doing um, Lenten penances by going over turmoil in the church, what we thought we would do is to turn to something um, a little more, a bit more directly spiritual than another controversy might be. David, you've just translated a book that is called Jerome's Tears. Um, the subtitle of that is Letters to Friends in Mourning. Um, I know that our, our listeners and our viewers have probably heard of St. Jerome as a great biblical translator and uh, as a, a great early Christian scholar, fourth century Christian scholar. Um, but they didn't, I don't, I'm rather sure they weren't aware of this book and you've translated the translators, so to speak. So can you tell us a bit uh, just about what this book is about? Yes, so Jerome had a wide corpus and wrote tons and tons of different kinds of works. Yes, we remember him for translating the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament from the original Hebrew into the Latin, which was the vernacular of the day. But he also wrote many, many commentaries on scripture that were widely sought after from all over the Roman world. And with that, he would often write, he would write them in letter form, epistolary form, what today we would consider the extended essay. And we have surviving 122 letters of Jerome that range from a number of different topics, many exegetical letters exploring the scriptures, other letters that you could call spiritual direction. And these letters that are in this volume seven of them are all letters of consolation, which was a style of writing, style of writing letters in the ancient world. The Greeks practice it. And Jerome is considered by almost everyone to be the master of the genre. So here we see Jerome, the pastor, not just the translator, writing to his friends, trying to console them in their grief. Yeah, I, that's one of the things that intrigued me, because we all have this sense, those of us who know Jerome, um, as, as being rather a flinty figure, isn't he? I mean, he got involved in many controversies, for the most part, on the right side uh, in the fourth century. But he isn't like the, the most immediate person you feel like you would turn to for advice when you're when you're hurting, when you're mourning, maybe somebody is sick, or maybe maybe someone is dead. What what exactly does he offer um, his, f friends and families of people who are sick or are dying? Well, Jerome was, was a very learned guy, and he poured over the scriptures. He poured over the writings of antiquity, and he spent some time as a hermit out in the living in the desert in the east for a few years, and then returned to Rome where he essentially became a pastor. Probably we would today call him not so much the tender of a church, but a spiritual director for a group of women. And that was his touchstone, so to speak, into the spiritual life of many. So we know him chiefly today for his intellectual contributions, 
but here are his pastoral contributions. And he's writing these letters of consolation to friends who have lost siblings, who have lost children, who have lost spouses or other friends. And he's consoling with three main weapons, if you will. One is the hope of the resurrection, that with death or with the Christ's resurrection, death has been conquered and he renews our faith in the resurrection. The second thing, he warns us or advises us to look at the present moment and thank, be thankful for the gift that we had in this person who has now passed away, rather than to be worried about, oh, this person I've now lost, give thanks to the Lord rather for the gift of that person's life. And his third piece of advice is somewhat unique, I think, is to focus on a new Christian vocation. Jerome says, well, now that this person has been taken from your life, well, you now have a new opportunity to follow the Lord in a new way. So he encourages his friends to embrace these new opportunities. In almost every case, he's asking for a more uh, devout practice of the Christian life. Jerome is very much an ascetic. And here we are in Lent on a Friday in Lent, as you said. And we have Jerome's urging to, of a couple of his um, friends that, to now that they're widowers, go become a monk, go serve the poor, go do something that you wouldn't have done otherwise had you remained either married or had you remained as a father or a mother. So he's exhorting us sometimes with some tough love too. So he's not a softy in that regard saying, oh yeah, just here's a new opportunity. Nor is he saying, oh, hey, just move on. You know, the person's gone, get over it. Rather, he sees these, these deaths as a transition, a new call for the Lord, from the Lord, to do something new with one's life. Yeah. Do you have any indications of how these letters were received in the ancient world? Because, I mean, clearly this is something people in every age need to hear. In the ancient world, these letters would have been read aloud to a community, just like Paul's letters from the Bible were written aloud to a whole community. So it actually, in a couple of the letters in the volume, at times, Jerome is speaking to the addressee in the third person. And that's not because he forgot to whom he was writing, but it was because he's trying to address the whole crowd there. So these letters were cherished. And Jerome was such a widely respected figure that they would, just like Paul's letters, the community would have kept these letters, read them and reread them. And also literacy was not widespread and books were not widespread either. They were written by hand and they were very expensive to produce. So it would have been one person reading these letters aloud to a group of people, and then they would have probably reflected on them and chewed on them. So Jerome's consolations would have been hanging in the air for an extended period of time, not just something we read once and say, put it down and, and forget about it. But that kind of this collective memory of a, of a church community was really what kept these letters alive, and which is why they've been passed down now for 1600 years, because they still have so much to speak to us as far as in this particular case in particular as, as grievers and mourners. What, what motivated you to translate this? I mean, there are a lot of other works you could have chosen. Uh, is there some particular reason why you thought it was at this moment a, a good thing to translate those letters by St. Jerome? Well, I was working on Jerome for a graduate school project years ago insofar as he, Jerome as a Latinist relied so heavily on Virgil and Horace and Cicero incorporating their lines and quotations into his own works. And that's heightened by this famous dream that Jerome had, and I include this dream in the introduction, where he dreams in the middle of Lent, he's tired from fasting, and he has a fever, and he maybe passes out or falls asleep, but he has a dream that he's called before the judgment seat of God. And he recounts how he, you know, he fasting was hard for him, he didn't enjoy it, and in particular, he 
didn't so much love reading the Hebrew prophets. He found their prose wanting, whereas he loved to read Cicero and Virgil. And here he is before the judgment seat of God, and God accuses him. He says, you're not a Christian, you're a Ciceronian. Where thy treasure is, there also is thy heart. And then Sudrum dramatically renounces pagan literature thereafter and promises that he'll never touch it again if he's given another chance. And scholars believe that Jerome seemed to have stuck with that vow for quite a number of years. Now, whether or not he's reading the books later in life, these particular seven letters that I've translated, they are all, they all incorporate a few translations from, or a few quotations from Virgil and most prominently, but also Cicero and Horace. And they're just passing vignettes. He doesn't dwell on them. He uses their associated images that he describes, say, the falling of Rome and uses some images from Virgil and describing the fall of Troy and incorporates those into his letters. So he's probably working from memory there in the ancient world. They would have memorized text copiously in school, unlike as we do today. So Jerome had those quotations at the ready, but nevertheless, he it was in going after Jerome as a Latinist that I discovered these consolation letters. And I was just struck by how beautiful they are. And I said, wow, you know what? It'd be great if we could put them together in a single volume. And that's what Jerome's tears became. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just as there was a strong reaction when those came out in uh, antiquity, do you, I imagine you got some feedback from people today. What kind of a, kind of... Uh, effect do you think that it's had from your readers? Have you heard back from readers? The most striking letter that I received, an email I received, was from a woman whose son I taught years and years ago. Uh, her father is in his 90s and is in, lives in Pennsylvania and lost his wife and his son in somewhat short succession a few years ago. And by her accounts, I've never met uh, this man, he has been rather grumpy and uh, hard to deal with since then. He was given a copy of Jerome's Tears. I was never told what exactly it was that tipped him off, but he really found it consoling, as is in the Jerome's intention. And his mood perked up. He changed his, his manner a little bit. So you know, praise God. That was, an that was an amazing story to receive. That's probably an exception, not the rule. I write in the introduction that reading these letters for us today, all these years later, is an exercise of the moral imagination, meaning that we can picture ourselves and those who have gone before us, our own parents, our own friends, our own mentors, family members, in the shoes of, or through the descriptions of these other deceased whom Jerome describes. And in doing so, we can allow Jerome to console us. So he really does have that power. And some of the letters at certain points, they almost read like spiritual reading. He, he incorporates the scripture into them. So many quotations from, Old Testament, New Testament, he's so fluent in them, and he incorporates them seamlessly into the letters. A lot of points are really very moving. So today we don't necessarily have to um, take Prozac. We can, we can go back to the ancient way of actually developing virtue and direct, directing our spirits in a different direction when we're maybe even grumpy. Maybe that's an amazing thing. David, this was a great project. I'm glad you took it on. Have you got any other... Uh, projects like this planned? Well, no more Latin project. I did give some brief thought we mentioned before Jerome's acerbic temper uh, of translating some of his polemical works, which which is also an established genre. It didn't mean Jerome was necessarily a crabby guy, but in the ancient world, they had these polemical works. Cicero wrote his attacks against Mark Anthony and so on. 
where there are thunderous critiques of others and uh, and I thought of trans entitling him Jerome's Thunder, but I think that might make people eh, question a little bit the sanctity of Jerome. We don't want to do that. So the next project is for the for the youth. Two hundred and fifty questions that I've compiled from high school kids over the last several years about the faith, about God, about religion, and God willing, we'll see that in print in another year or so. Great, great. I mean, we certainly need that. We need everything these days. People, whenever people ask me, "What can I do? Where can I turn?" I always say, "Just wherever you happen to be, do what comes to hand." And there's just so much that needs doing somewhere. It'll it'll bear fruit. David, we're out of time, but I want to thank you again for um, doing this translation. Um, I want to ref to tell our listeners and viewers again that you can read David on a regular basis at the Catholic Thing. The, www.thecatholicthing.org. His book, Jerome's Tears, is available where books are on sale and on, on the internet, etc. And we'll hope to see David back here again another time, as well as you who are listening and viewing.